Well, Mark, welcome to the Super Porter Podcast. Thank you for thank having you me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming to my place. This, yeah. is, this is a dream come true in here. You got a view of, uh, yeah, looks like a workshop. It's awesome, man. I Thank you. You know, I've done a few mobile podcasts. I usually do it in my studio, but mm-hmm. I'm like, it's called the Studio Corner because it's in the corner of my oh, studio. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's this tight little corner. You know, you wouldn't believe how small it was, uh, you know, through the video. Yeah, because I saw a couple of them in there. You know, it looked like a it looks, good space. It looks like a good yeah. space, but it's nice and cozy. Um, so it's always really fun when I get to leave the studio and bring it to someone else, especially. Yeah, I'm glad you could come. Yeah. This is, this is totally rad. Um, so before we dive into it, I wanted to ask you this question. Uh Classification-wise, do you classify yourself as a guitar player or as a composer? Well, it, it, I flip-flop. It depends on uh, the job I'm looking for at the time. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I may go in and change the website around if I'm up for a, a composing job that I want. I put composer first, but if I'm out playing gigs, I put guitarist. But it's, you know, you know the bulk of my work has been composing in the, for the last 25 years. So That's right. And I was always a guitar player before that, but in the last... I'd say eight years or so, I've really dived, dove back into the guitar and working on fingerstyle stuff and just writing stuff of my own and 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 starting to play around town. I played some gigs over in Santa Monica right on. once a month, play over here in Woodland Hills with the great L.A. band, the Bone Daddies. Ooh. They invited me into their world about a year and a half ago, two years ago. So I do every Sunday night with them, which is a great little gig. At a place called the Right Off Room in Woodland Hills. Right on. Uh, there's that, uh, and then I just play and write here a lot. When I'm not composing, I'm working on guitar music now, instead of just you know screwing around and doing nothing, <laughs> nothing productive. So you said eight years ago you kind of got right. You know, got back. back into it. I've always played and always yeah. you know had some chops, but but got more into like this fingerstyle world and listening to, you know this, what they call con- new contemporary. Acoustic guitar finger style with all the great Mike Dawes and oh, and man. Andy McKee and all those guys oh, and man. and they're just the great players that do that percussive thing. I don't do that, but yeah. I went back and listened to some of the old. Uh, really started studying the older guys, Lil Kotke and those kind of players, uh, learning that music. Which tomorrow night I get to go meet Mr. Lil Kotke when he's oh, in L.A. Wow. So I'm gonna go to the show and have a meet and greet with him. So. That's awesome. So anyway, he's been an idol since I was very young. It's funny, and, those, those kinds of guys are who I listen to when I want guitar yeah. inspiration. Yeah. I can't play like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can't I spent my whole life doing that. Yeah. But, you know, you, you listen to one of those tracks, you can't help but want to play no, guitar. No, he's, yeah, he's just, he was brilliant. And there are a lot of guys like that. But yeah. it's not the contemporary slap um, percussive style that guys, people, guys, girls, people everywhere around the world. <laughs> it's a phenomenon. There, there are people oh, yeah. playing phenomena. There are people playing this stuff. There are... Uh, you know, camps, acoustic camps, concerts around the world for this acoustic style now, and it's wonderful. I just don't have the knack. I, I really love it. Though. It's so pleasing. You know, yeah. it's, it's. I don't remember the last time I heard a new style of yeah. guitar playing or music that was so pleasing. Well, you know, Michael Hedges started it. Michael Hedges, before he passed away, way prematurely in the late 80s, I yeah. believe it was, he made three or four groundbreaking albums and did a concert tours, and he was regarded as... A visionary and yeah. he is and he started that and no one's beat that yet wow like him he's the guy to listen to uh, but like i said i still go back to the old guys the old traditional finger style stuff tommy Emanuel's like my, oh tommy Emanuel. he's an alien once he once he, <laughs> he came on the you. scene you know he really brought the acoustic guitar but just guitar playing in general yeah uh, for that kind of facility 
he brought it to the forefront. He is the master, you know. Yeah. He's just something else. I, I uh, as a joke, I kind of say like he's like the Steve I of acoustic. You know, for <laughs> me, Steve I is the guy yeah. that like you know Vi he can, has his style, but he can do everything. Vi can do anything. Vi, Vi is Vi is a super musician as well. Besides yeah. being a guitar player, he's probably one of the best musicians around. He his really? his ears and his arranging and his. He's, you know, it's not just about flash guitar with him. He's I a, saw him once he's live, brilliant. and you could feel exactly what yeah. you just said. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So speaking of these incredible musicians and these, uh, you know, visionaries and game changers, mm-hmm. I was reading a little bit of that uh, little bio you sent me, and there was a, a phrase used, tonal palette. And mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved everything about that phrase, tonal palette. I forget what the context was. Well, I, I stood out to me because I was reading a little bit of your story and I was hoping you could uh, share a little bit if you'd like. Um, as a kid, you said you moved around a lot and you checked out a lot of local music scenes. Yeah, we were, Air, we were an Air Force family and we moved constantly. So once I picked up guitar at age 12, we were living in uh, a small town in Arkansas near Little Rock, on, near the air base, uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas to be exact. Uh, picked up music there with my best friend. We both were starting out at the same time. Uh, Billy Hoover, who we're still in contact. He's a wonderful musician down there in Hot Springs, Arkansas area. But uh, he and I started out playing together. And then before you knew it, we got stationed over in Carolina. So I went over there for a year. I met some players and learned different styles over there. Then we ended up on Guam as in high school for a year, and I kind of got to know a few of the local musicians there. Everybody was into rock and roll, but there was still this more traditional music you could hear when you'd go around in these cultural. Uh, the city cultural music in the Agana Guam area. Wow! Uh, and then I was born up in the state of Washington. I ended up back there for a year and started really listening. I was always playing acoustic guitar, really listening to, I bought a Telecaster and was listening to like Eric Clapton and stuff and got those early Blues Breaker albums Mm. and just the old drop the needle and learn the licks and played in the school band. I learned to read a little bit in 12th grade and enough to read charts. Yeah. Played in the school big band and for senior year. I got some experience with that and it was fun, you know. Um, But then immediately got out of there and went to uh, Kansas City where I met... I got my musical education, not from a school, but I met all these jazz players. And it was the beginning of the fusion kind of scene was happening, and, and Pat Metheny was breaking wild. He was from that area, actually, and breaking out. And, uh, and so that's when I started to learn about music theory and improv theory, oh, man. scales, modes, uh, harmonization. I audited some harmony classes with a professor there in, in the campus at UMKC. Wow. Uh, stayed there for about five or six years. A, a bunch of us had a local band. We all kind of, about four or five of us came out here to L.A. in 79 and just hit the ground, you know, started over, started playing. In, I started playing in dive bars. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're going to L.A. We, you know, not Kansas City. Kansas City was the best music town I've ever lived in. And really? Just phenomenal players, great people, and not... Not necessarily the Kansas City old jazz scene, but these were young contemporary musicians that were just great. Taught me a lot. Anyway, we all got back to got out to L.A. Like, we're going to make it. We're going to L.A. Started over. Nobody was making money. We were playing dive bars. Uh, started writing and started getting songwriter gigs. I got a publishing deal within about, I guess, six years, seven years. Really made no money to, to begin with out here. It, L.A. It, 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 L.A. was tough. Changed. Very tough. <laughs> And uh, I think it's tougher now because there's oh, less live music 
to sustain you. You know, you can't necessarily go out and play a supper club or a bar gig and make. Well, no one's going to come bucks. to see him anymore. Yeah, you know they that's don't. that's something I've noticed as a young musician. No one wants to leave their house to come see live music anymore. I know very few. It's tough. You know, the indie band things kind of happening around in uh, Atwater Village and West Side and places and down in Hollywood. But you're right. It's hard to get people out. Yeah. My Tuesday night, I, every second Tuesday of the month, I play a place called Trip in Santa Monica. I've uh, played there before. Uh, oh, you have? Yeah, I love that Trip's place. Trip's great. Great people there. But it's tough to get people out on a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to get, you know, we have people that show up. And it's all my instrumental guitar music. I have a quartet. Oh man, I gotta with, check this out. And it's just guitar, percussion, bass, and drums. And so the guitar, the the harmonies are wide open. I can do anything I want, quarterly, you know, and not tethered to, you know, another tonal instrument. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. That's genius. Uh, I love that. Not, it's not genius. <laughs> no, I, I not love genius. that. Not genius. I'm a guitar hear it. player, so it's great yeah, to hear. It can be kind of freedom to. Yeah, that. yeah. You don't necessarily have to tie down with a keyboard. We were thought about adding a keyboard, but it's like. I just have these kind of loose framed tunes with structures or kind of like, you know, we'll just listen to each other and go. And the percussionist is a brilliant guy named Mike Tempo right who uh, plays with the Bone Daddies, the founder of the Bone Daddies. And uh, and Rick Moores is the bass player. Tom Walsh is the drummer. L.A. guys that have been around forever and really good players I've known for years. And it's fun. It's just our month, monthly gig that we go out and just play instrumental stuff and have fun and I love that in the midst of everything that you're working on all the time and doing that well, you have make the time to do that. It's sometimes they collide. Yeah. You know, we were working on the Dolly Parton series last year, which was a year's worth of nonstop work, sleepless nights, crazy schedules, and then going to Capitol at least once every couple of weeks to record the orchestra, prepping the orchestra, and get just writing all the music and getting it ready for orchestra was a huge endeavor. And on top of that, I had gigs locally that. You know, yeah. you show up for and you're kind of out of it. <laughs> you're like half asleep. A little like, tired, yeah. Music is a demanding. Those demanding. nights you drink coffee, not beer. So, huh. so I, I want to dive into the Dolly Parton thing in a minute. I mm-hmm. really I want to I know more about that because it's uh, looking at your resume, there's, so, there's such a versatile thing. But I, I wanna, I'll get there in a minute. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, especially someone with so much experience, so much talent, so much intuition for music, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's largely what, what, what I, yeah, well, I'm flying You know, you by. moved around so much and you, you absorbed these local music scenes. You, you were able to learn, you know, is, what, was the, what was your secret to it? What, was, what, was, what kept you open to actually absorbing and learning and more importantly, applying it to yourself? Wanting to fit in with players, wanting to fit in with the guys that were better than me. Every time I moved as a kid, I always met, because I, was, I wasn't that good. I was okay. I could play chords and learn Beatles yeah. songs and learn Who songs and whatever <laughs> of the era, you know, and played a little bit of Top 40 stuff. But but I would always meet, you know, in every town in the world, there's some guitar player or piano player or drummer, some musician who just is burning, just a killer player. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough, every time I moved, it's like I would meet somebody like that. Always You'd find them. It wasn't hard to meet somebody better than me because I wasn't very good. But <laughs> but I, I got to know them. And we'd, and we'd either have a band together and I'd just, you know, absorb as much as I could. And well, I just wanted to be a better player. It wasn't about going out and performing and yeah. getting chicks or anything. It was more like I really want to learn be a good guitar player. There's such a great philosophy behind yeah. that, I think. It wasn't it wasn't an intended philosophy. It was just sort of where I gravitated towards. I think that's why it's so great. It's just, you know, you, you wanted to fit in. You wanted yeah. to make yourself better. Well, it's like and, anything. You know. Yeah, you want to you want to fit in. And the, I've hung easily with music music types, you know. You seek that part out, yeah. which is, I think, important yeah. there. Yeah, because, you know, my brother and I, uh, he was playing drums. And uh, 
you know, we would always just look for for musicians and hang out and get in trouble that way. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the, I, I, I remember I was reading, I was like, man, that must've been such a, that in itself seems like an education. You yeah, know, so it was. Many music scene, so many, it was. Uh, Kurt Piscara, when I, every time I talk to him about anybody doing anything, he always asks me the same thing. He's like, well, do they play live? Yeah. Have they toured? Have they worked? Have they yeah. worked? And it's, and I've always, I've always been, uh, I've always loved that response because it has, you know, it kind of says like, does this person actually know what it takes? And you like force well, yourself in that situation I, as a young time. person but then i fell out of it once i got to la I, it was more about trying to write songs i got into tv fairly early writing uh, for some early shows in the mid 80s uh and then assisting some other composers writing but um you know it wasn't all that i wasn't seeking all those things out purposely you know yeah. it just kind of opened up but i didn't do a lot of touring or playing live once i got to la not until you know, not that I do it that much, but until, like I said, the last five or six years wow. now, I've been playing gigs out, trying to play as much as I can. <clears throat> but in the early days, I didn't do the touring thing. I played in a ton of bands wherever yeah. I was locally. Never did the tour thing on a level of a lot of, you know, a lot of great players around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't travel well. <laughs> After all that moving as a kid, who wants to move? Yeah, I mean, you're like, I'm I, stuck. I, I'm not I made leaving. it this far. Let's and not I'm, keep doing I'm, it. I'm going to hang here. So with composing, is it, um, I guess for me, you know, I'm not educated as a composer. I'm not educated as someone that scores TV or, or film. Um, but when I think about a composer, I imagine their main instrument being a piano. It can, you know? Yeah, I start there sometimes. Um, yeah. But you are a guitar player. Yeah. And it's, it's so it's, for me, it's like that's not traditional. But do you think that changes your approach? Well, it makes me a, a a bad piano player is what it does. But but it also, there's one, I mean, I know where everything is on the piano. Yeah, I just absolutely. can't play and I can't syncopate and I can't coordinate two hands. But I can I can hear music and I can find it, you know, I can hear it in my head and I can find it on the keyboard. It makes it simplistic, but for thematic scoring and when you want to compose something that's not just beats and grooves as a lot of music is these days, but something with some musical value to it, yeah. harmonic value, I can find little melodies and things and play them so simplistically that then that allows me to go back and orchestrate it later, you know, or, but I'll start on guitar sometimes, but I'll usually start with the keyboard and, uh, and then you've got a map, you know, you record the yeah. keyboard part and you've got a very rough draft for me, super rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's very elemental, but, uh, it works, you know, I, I can come up with good melodies and ideas very simply, very quickly, and then the real chore is it takes me a long time to flesh those into a, you know, a listenable piece of music. You know, whether it's for orchestra, whether it's for kind of cool modern sounds or yeah. whatever it is. Uh, it just, you know, I'm not a great keyboard player, so I can't get everything and arrange it quickly. But I can get the ideas fast. So awesome. It just takes me a little longer to, to get it orchestrated and get it arranged. Do you ever grab the guitar after you found your melody and kind of yes. mess around with it? And yes. Sometimes so it's I kind of like your exploring tool. So it just depends. If I really want to come up with something a little more advanced harmonically than I can do on keyboard, I will start on guitar mm -hmm. because I can do what I need to do on guitar yeah. very easily. But but uh, for but for a lot of scoring stuff, you you want simple ideas, you know. You want a guy that plays lame piano. I'm in high demand around here. Is that is that yeah. like, you know, across the board, usually you're looking for someone that's going to keep it simple as a... Well, composer? it depends on, you know, what, what producers and directors are looking for is, 
you know, it varies wildly. You know, they want somebody with an original voice. What I've learned over the years of trying to get scoring gigs and what with all the technology now and there are, I would like to say that scoring now, you know, having MIDI and samples and your <laughs> and your writing rig is to the generation now musically is what playing Beatles music was to my generation. What getting a guitar and being in a band. Now it's I want to go to Berkeley. I want to go to a, a, a you know a production school. I want to go somewhere and learn how to be a composer. And I've got all these samples and all the sounds at my fingertips. And you know, there's so many people doing that now. Young people coming up and they want to do it, and they're great. There's a lot of great ones out there. So you think it's a very good thing that the technology has allowed yeah, us to have access? Yeah, it's allowed me to do what I did. Yeah. I mean, I was not a sit-down pen and paper guy. I can I can pen a pencil, paper and pencil you know, flesh out a score by hand. I can do it very slowly. I can read it very slowly, but it's not my first instinct. My instinct is, since I've had the technology, I can create a score, you know, as a lot of people can, because you have access to sounds and technology. So, Do you think that it uh, diminishes any sort of, uh, you know, ideas that could come from having no, to do No, because it? I think the electronic world... The, not electronica or EDM, but I just mean electronics and music now. Yeah, yeah. S sound design, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's it's a blessing because you know there's a tonal that. music. Tonal music is great, and orchestral music will always be around. There's you can that's wonderful stuff to aspire to, but there's something really cool about you know what's happening right now. The the Hildar, the woman that won uh, the Oscar, f the for you know sound the the film scoring Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best best soundtrack, whatever it is. Yeah. Anyway, she's amazing. And it was largely a sound design for the Joker. She's great. You know, and that's a totally different way of scoring. And she's um, a great musician, too. She plays yeah. the cello. She's brilliant. You know, but she has this other focus that's mind-bending. She's really great. I love hearing that. Uh, I love hearing that because I hear so many mixed opinions about this idea of technology advancing, like putting people out of work in this. Well, but, yeah, that's uh, happened. Henry Ford did that with the, you know, the 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 assembly it's line. It's just evolution, you know, two hundred years ago. So, but uh, but I like yeah. that. I like how you said, you know, it's something to aspire to. You know, the yeah. orchestra, and it's good to aspire to it. But this technology is allowing yeah. us to be so, you know, keep that flow happening. Yeah, there are musicians that won't ever need to do that, and they're great, and they let them. You know, if they can do it electronically and, and yeah. get and if they can create something that works with the media that they're working on, whether it's a movie or TV show, a game, a YouTube clip, whatever yeah. it is, something of your own. You know, it doesn't matter if you connect with the with the picture that you're you're creating. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how you arrive at it. You yeah. know? I used to be of the mindset of, oh, you really have to have that formal harmonic background. And now it's like it's kind of cool when they don't. The people that don't necessarily play an instrument to come up with some really great stuff. They just feel it. Yep, and they can create it electronically. Fine. That's awesome. I'm very happy. It's I'd... just sound. Yeah. <laughs> you know? At the end it's of the day. It's all just sound. So with you know that being said, you're the whole idea of scoring and finding the right mood and uh, themes, thematically writing music. Right. Um, TV to film. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always been curious about this, and I finally get to ask <laughs> a composer this question. When you're writing a theme for a show um, – it's got to be, you know, this idea that every episode can have it. Maybe it's an intro song. Sure. Maybe it's a, just a theme yeah. that goes through them. Yeah. And you have a chance to bring it out in so many different ways depending on the episode, I imagine. Mm -hmm. But with film, it's so concrete in the sense of like you get one shot to make this the film. It's Yeah. You give it an identity right away and you, you, don't, like you don't shift gears. You, you, with a TV show and a, a episodic programming, you, 
Yeah, you take your thematic stuff, your sound palette, whatever you want to call it, and you you use that every week for your show. But you know, you have to write to the scene. You have to write different music. But with a movie, you create that language for that movie, mm-hmm. and you find whatever works and whatever the director's happy with. And once you have that set, you know you you know you, that's the blueprint for that for yeah. that film. It's nothing you, you you revisit it within the film itself. And yeah. not to say that you don't put your own stamp on other films. It's very simple because people may hire you for your own sound, your own voice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've done way more TV than I have films. I've done small films. But um, that's the challenge for me is to look at it as you're only working for that film. This sounds, These sounds and these ideas go for this film. And you have to connect that thread through the whole film to give it a voice, to give it an identity. Is there one that you prefer? What do you mean? Do you prefer working on uh, films or uh, TV? I think films are more creative because... Really? Yeah, I think so, because you get to really focus on... You focus on that set of sounds and that that whatever you want to call it, style. It's almost like the, the fact that you are limited to a yeah. certain timeline and yeah. certain specific... You're movie. working on one project for many weeks, if not months, as opposed to shifting every week. Yeah. Okay, here's a new episode. Here's a new episode. You forget that one. It's done. You, you fly fast with television production, and with movies. You know, hopefully you have the time. Hopefully you have you go deeper with the music, and you, hopefully you have the time to really let it develop. And you, to me, when I've done them, it's not the same at the end when, uh, when the process is over. I've changed the music so much, unless I really nail it in the beginning. Yeah. But it's rarely the case. It always evolves until you really get the sound just right. And then you write, then you, once you get the blueprint for what you want to do for that film, then you go ahead and score all your scenes and do what's necessary. So it's, it's, it's uh, diving a lot deeper in film then. I would say, yeah. Depends on the film, you know. Yeah, but yeah. of course. And the time frame. It's also so, I mean... It's so uh, concrete in the sense of like once you made that theme, like that's it. Like you got to yeah. be there. You know, yeah. uh, it's not going to change next week. This is it. Yeah. So uh, I, I I love. I've always just even as a kid listened to scores as I watch movies. Yeah, it's always been. I mean, I'm a guy. I love music, right? So actually, one of my favorite scores of all time is uh, the Interstellar. It's a great score. Yeah, I listen at the gym. <laughs> there there are a few pieces of music in there that just stand out to me. So they're so great. I forget the scene, but there's one piece of music I, I had to go after I saw the movie. I had to go the find it. No, it was one of the. It was they were in space and they were docking something. I don't know. It was mm. one of the space scenes. But there was some piece of music that just was to me was just gorgeous and it, it worked beautifully. I had to go find that. I can't remember the title of the cue, but yeah, yeah I, that's I, a great score. Well, you know, it's crazy because like I think about stuff like that because. When you listen to that score on just audio, I listen to it all the time as opposed to some other scores from movies. Like it's mm-hmm. obviously a very, you know, we're out in space, very specific emotion. I mean, he captured it so well and it's mm-hmm. actually not a lot going on. No. Yeah. But you feel like you're in the vast emptiness of space. Yeah. There's not a lot going on in space. So there he captured it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it really yeah. is. It's really. He's great. It's yeah. such a, such an ode to what music can do even in its simplest form, mm-hmm. you know. And you get a chance to do that with films. That's another thing. In films, I think the music is is a bigger voice than it is in a TV show. In mm-hmm. a TV show, it's just can be just energy behind a scene, and it, it could be anything. That's why people license so much pre-existing music for TV and and media, you know, streaming content. But, yeah. But when something's really scored specifically for the scene, I think the the 
show create film creators they filmmakers take it more seriously the the music is important to it T- sometimes tv and music's almost like an afterthought yeah. you know to me but it depends on who's making the show you yeah. know some everybody's different but that's why i think film film you get to dive deeper so you've done more tv gigs that you'd said yeah over the years so i was looking a little bit at some of the projects you worked on and uh i mean the endless amount of projects you worked on and there's one word always just kept coming to mind is versatility. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. You know, I can't pinpoint Scattered you on that. Scattered is the word. <laughs> I mean, maybe, uh, but yeah. you know, as a fan, as someone listening, as someone watching, you know, it's, it's so impressive because I can't pinpoint you. And I always love finding any type of artist, any type of creative person that I can't classify as this is the kind of stuff they do because they're yeah. just so... Well, well you know, it's, uh, you know, I was able to pull things off different styles, you know, and I think some of it's being a guitar player. When I worked on uh, the show My Name is Earl back in the early 2000s with my friend Danny Lux, he and I, it was a, you know, like a blues guitar harmonica type thing, but we were able to do scoring as well in some of the stuff because it was, it was a single camera shoot sitcom. And so it was a little film looking, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, it was still sitcom music. It was play-ons, play-offs. But with, internally within scenes, we got to do a few things, but we would, we would score it with guitars and bass harmonicas and drums and, and a blues bass thing. But it wasn't always just tracks, and that was a fun show to yeah. do. But then we turn around and score. Uh, I have always done these documentaries for this one company and turn around and score, I don't know, uh, a JFK assassination documentary and then and one on the, on the Holocaust. Holocaust. Anne yeah. Frank's Holocaust was very serious and... And real sensitive Beautiful music. Beautiful tracks, by the way. Thank you. And that was, um, um, a, yeah, it was just after the Earl thing, but I was still working on that kind of stuff at the same time. See, that right there, just, I mean, that's so incredible because, you know, I listened to the Anne Frank soundtrack, and you're saying that's right after the, you know, My Name is Earl to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the two on yeah. the spectrum there. From Earl to Anne <laughs> is a little bit of a stretch, but uh, yeah. But so I, well done. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's fun to do. So, I mean, let me ask you how, is, is there. Is there something that you have to do, a ritual, a practice, something that you do to switch gears so quickly? No, because right, right now I'm jumping between an, a special on the great Gary Marshall, the producer who made every sitcom in the 70s and 80s and 90s, yeah. uh, to uh, Pretty Woman and everything. Gary Marshall, they're doing, he passed away two years ago, and ABC is doing a kind of biopic event for his life, mm-hmm. life's work, and it's a two-hour thing, and we're working on that right now at the same time. As working on a, a kind of really dark uh, World War II documentary mm-hmm. called Apocalypse 45, and it's the aftermath wow. of the war, and, and it's the actual shots of them going through the, the, the uh, Pacific Theater and going through the European Theater after everything's done, Man. and it's really tough to watch. And working on that at the same time, and that's some real dark music, more actually more tonal sound design type music, which is fun to do. Uh, so, and that's like on the phone with one guy getting notes on, on the yeah. Gary Marshall stuff and then literally hanging up and the other guy saying, Hey, I need you to fix something on this cue. Change the rig, go back to wow. the other thing. And so it's a little that's schizophrenic, but that's pro level right there. Though. Well, no, it's, it's why you get the call. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's sometimes you take on way too much. Yeah. And assistants do come in handy. I know why people much busier than myself have two or three people on 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 staff all the time, 
you know, I have part-time people come in. So. Awesome. So I want to dive into your music as a guitar mm-hmm. player in a minute, but before, just because my own curiosity, um, can you share a little bit about the Dolly Parton experience and the whole Toy Soldiers with oh, M&M's? To- toy Soldiers, I'm... <laughs> uh, well, those are two completely different... Yes, they are. ...things separated by uh, two decades, but uh, in, in the late 80s, I was signed to... Warner Chapel Music as a songwriter, co-writing with artists. Right. And then fell in with a group of great writers and nice people and worked with uh, Kylie Minogue, the Australian pop star. She's a great singer-dancer, and I assume she's still around. Anyway, wrote, wrote a couple tunes with her, got on, uh, on a couple albums, and then uh, started working with Martika through this production company, who was a, a hit in 88, I believe it was, mm-hmm. with the song Toy Soldiers. And I played all the guitar parts. And it went to number one in the United States. It was a number one hit song. That's rock so and roll. Like, <laughs> you know, got a few more guitar gigs out of it. But, uh, uh, and then that was that story. And then Eminem, it turns out, f- 2005, he sampled that track. It's one of his best songs, too. Yeah. And I heard it, and it's like he, you know, he's, and the, there's the guitar right there. I got my... Extra money from the union, yeah. you know, my extra 200 bucks because it got sampled on a hit record. So yeah. it, it came around twice as a hit. That's great. That was, that's a great song. Martika and a friend of mine, Michael J., wrote that song together, and it's a really good one. That's awesome. Uh, and Eminem thought so, too, I guess. What a great, like, chain of events to yeah. have such a part in the weird. song and have it just, re, like, revisited and uh, brought to because life Because of the Eminem thing, I started getting emails and a few things on my website. People like, so what was your rig? What what did you play through? What guitar was that? What you know? It's like it was, you know, I <laughs> just, barely remember. It was all electronic. There were no amps. It was the little fuzzy Rockman plug-in, uh. you know, a little fake amp <laughs> thing back then. But uh, yeah, that was that story. That was good. It was I love good it. That's great. And then uh, a Dolly few years player. ago, Dolly, uh, my good friend Velton Ray Bunch, Ray Bunch, been pals forever. He's a really fine c- composer and. Uh, He's worked with Dolly over the years. She called him and said, I have this eight-hour eight anthology, film anthology with Netflix. So does Ray want to do it? And he goes, yeah, but I want to do it with Mark. And I had actually met her once before, and uh, I think she knew, remembered who I was. But <laughs> no, we, worked, we came in as a team, and he and I scored these uh, Dolly Parton's heartstrings. They're, you know, very... Each one's different. Each one's based on a Dolly song, so you got to. Was it you, intimidating to do that? To no, not at all. No, she's she's super good. Yeah, only intimidating thing was the schedule and using the live orchestra, but still, yeah. I had to. We did all the writing and all the pre-production here at my place because there's a lot of guitars, mandolins. We'd have violin players, fiddle players, come in, and yeah. uh, the pre-score that we would then record orchestra to. You know, I had to do all that here, so that was a challenge with the schedule. Each of those eight. Films, TV movies, if you will, were uh, completely different than each other. But they all would have a live orchestra on them in the wow. end. So um, that was a challenge. She was, she was great to work with. The, the schedule was a challenge. She, was, she would come into Capitol Records when we'd do the orchestra. She came out here a couple times uh, to my studio, and she just is the most genuine person. That's awesome. And, and, I love to hear And that. she has great, you know, she just cracks you up. She's just 
very real and very funny. She is who she who we believe yes. she is. She's she's really sweet. And what a singer. You know, she's one of the best of, of yeah. the best. She can she just sings beautifully. The cool thing about that gig was we um once we got rolling and would write, we'd be in the middle of a of a scene or a, a you know, a cue or whatever. And we're writing. It's like, wouldn't it be great to have some vocal on this? You know, just a little bit, not the song. We would quote some of her songs that were pertinent to the, the, the episode. Of course. But these would be like, what if we just had, instead of having a flute or having a clarinet or whatever it is or a steel guitar, why don't we just have a voice? Let's get Dolly. So we would call her. She's, no way. She was in Nashville, and she's at her studio there. And her, we'd Wonderful, say, hey, could, 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 here's, here's the idea we have. Send her the file. We just want you to ad lib something cool on this. It's just like a little whatever it is. Just Dolly, just do anything. It'll be great. And she and then wake up the next morning, and her guy Tom Rutledge at her studio runs her place in Nashville. He'd say, "Okay, there's a file in there," and we pull it up. And the first thing you hear in the morning is you hear Dolly Parton oh. voice, custom made, you know, for your that for your piece of music. And and ever. it was great. It always worked out well. It was not one of these. Oh, maybe we'll use it or not. No, it was always great. What it always made the piece of music. Oh, you know, how could it not? But that's so cool. She's very very good. And uh, that was a good good experience. Wow! They may do another round. They may do another round of eight uh, next year. They literally the production team literally needed a year off after that, after shooting all this. They shot in Georgia, and uh, post production and everything was done out here. It was through Warner Brothers. Wow! And Netflix, and uh, it was it's a big operation. It was a grind. It was a lot of work, but it was very rewarding. The shows are out on Netflix now. Um, doing pretty well, I guess. Um, you know, it's very, it's very safe stuff, but they're good stories, really good stories. A couple yeah. of them are really stand out. Awesome. Uh, and good writing, great, great team. I imagine the music's great too. Well, it, it's good. <laughs> uh, we've been trying to get us get it released as a soundtrack, but the the, the snag there is, their Dolly song. Uh, Dolly's songs are part of the score in places. And you can't really license that and release yeah. that as, you know, uh, that's that's her song yeah. terrain, and you don't really mess with that. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully someday we'll be able to release some of it. But it sounded good. The orchestra used all local local 47 orchestra musicians at Capitol Union dates, and it was just awesome. really great. Awesome. First class with Dolly. That's so good. I'm very happy yeah. to hear all that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, fast forward to now. I mean, you've done, you've got a beautiful history of creating so much music um, for so many different reasons. And now you're jamming on the guitar, you're <laughs> diving back into it. You're returning, release, returning to my youth. Return, yeah. You know, you got a band now. So what, what's the direction for you as a musician, at, you know, in your soul? What's your direction right now? Right now is just, uh, I'm finishing up a, about a 13, 14 song uh cd of just guitar music mostly solo a bit uh, overdub stuff but mostly solo guitar just finishing that up it's called guitars and blackbirds uh and that's really what i've been trying to between scoring i'm trying to finish that up and then i just want to pursue more guitar stuff you know awesome. i have my quartet which i've we started recording i'm going to do another another album of that stuff of you know, guitar music with the, with the quartet. Oh, man. Uh, and that's a little more, you know, electric and electric guitar and stuff. The Guitars and Blackbirds album will be mostly, it's all acoustic, primarily. 
Right on. But it's all kind of just arrangements of various things, you know. Well, I mean, if you're willing to share, I mean, play. Ah, well. We'd love to hear some I could play music. a little snip of uh, the Beatles' Blackbird. This I did a couple years ago on YouTube, and people really liked it, so I'll just play a little bit of it. Mess it up. Yeah, I screwed it up. Condensed wow. version. That's awesome. Kind of trying to blend slide playing. Yeah. With wow. Slide playing with with uh, hitting fingers as well. Kind of actually cheating is what I call it because because you can't hit every chord with the with the slide. So occasionally yeah. you have to backstop. So you get a few what fretted a notes. Sound though. What an approach to that song as well. I mean, that's really, really special. It's a great melody. I mean, I played really this special. tune since I was a kid, yeah. but I never played the melody. I, everybody learned the chords, but I worked on it for about a year trying to figure out where all the voices were, and this is an open E tuning. So okay. Out of tune tuning. And I got that first, and then I realized then you've got to get a major seven chord here to keep the melody on the top. That's a that's the oh, one that's real reach so that good. to get that E minor chord or C sharp minor in this case. So when you're approaching something like this, as you know, guitar wise, you know, you have the slide, but you mm -hmm. have to incorporate both slide and playing the chords. Right. You know, what are you choosing to use a slide for? Is it the melody that you're it's choosing? It's whenever whatever I can grab. It's whatever usually, you it's can usually grab. Um, it's usually whatever. Sometimes it's if it, there's a leading tone, a leading voice into yeah. a chord, I'll try to do that. Uh, that was really special. But, Thank but, you. Oh yeah. If you can play, this is a standard tuning. That I can play. You can do all the stuff that lays across, you know, across the frets. But when you want to get... You can do it on the slide, or you can... 
which I call cheating. Now, why do you call that cheating? I don't know, because I'm kind of half playing slide and half playing just regular fretting. So because but, you're not using the slide as much yeah, as you Yeah, because I want to use the slide as much as I can, but so it's like, okay, I can't get that note, but now I can get to the fretted note fairly quickly, instinctually. But, uh, but when you want to do... What I'll do is uh, I screw that up. But any kind of falling thing. It's almost like instead of bending up the note, you slide up the note. Exactly. Whenever it's Which available. Which makes sense on the ring finger there. What a beautiful approach to that. I like that. So I'm just half. I'll fret the 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 uh, the accented note is usually slid. Yeah. without doing too much of that. And the great Sonny Landreth, the best friggin' slide player ever, uh, he's the king of the, it's called back fretting, where you're, you can it's grab like barring these, with the slide. You're barring, but then when you drop, watch what's happening, this is being hit by the slide, but when you fret behind it, wow. the string is just below the slide, so the note rings. If you don't have your action set right, it'll buzz better. Yeah. But he can do mir miraculous things. I'm, I just kind of noodle with it. But... Anyway, I'm, that's, I've just been playing a lot of guitar lately. And when I'm not scoring stuff, that's, I'm going to continue writing guitar pieces, um, uh, which the first batch of them should come out here in the next month. Oh, wow. Okay. So guitars, we've got the artwork done. Is it slide stuff? Is it It's more... a little bit of everything. It's 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 all kinds of stuff. It's a couple two or three Beatle tunes, Blackbirds okay. on there. Uh, a lot of original things of mine. There's one called Blues for Fahey. John Fahey was a Kotke. He actually signed Leo Kotke back in the late 60s uh, to his label, but he was what they called primitive American American guitar, which was a, you know, a folk style of guitar, but he played real bluesy and a really authentic yeah. incredible player. Uh, he passed away some years ago, but uh, uh, I have a tune called Blues for Fahey on there that, in honor of him. Uh, I have a couple of, uh, one West African sounding type Ooh. of piece of music, kind of modal odd tunings. I go for a few different odd tunings on this thing. And now is it just guitar work? Are there yeah. tracks behind it at all? No, it's it's mostly solo guitar. Occasionally I will overdub another guitar. Okay. But so. it's, uh, one tune actually does have live upright bass and... Uh, a couple of percussion overdubs. And right I do on. a Kotke tune, his great old song on his first album, one of his first albums, uh, Busted Bicycle, which we kind of treated a little differently. Sounds Sort of sounds like an, an old jug band with a guitar. Uh, <laughs> but that's a fun piece, a challenging piece of music to play. I learned yeah. that a few, couple years ago. Um, and Beatles, few, three or four Beatle tunes. So it's mostly acoustic, you said? Yeah. So a couple of electric, uh... electric things, but... Just out of curiosity, this is me, you know, just as a guitar player asking, what's your mic setup for uh, these songs? It's, it, can, it can vary, but it's always uh, a stereo pair, kind of above, mm -hmm. some AKGs, uh, and then an engineer friend of mine, Jason Warmer, who is also mixing some stuff on here, suggested I get a, uh, what's it called, a buyer M160, and it's this little mini ribbon mic that's been around forever, but they're just phenomenal. And you put it in front of the guitar, you know, it's a front, put it up in front of it. Yeah. Then I usually put a ribbon mic over here and 
on the body. And then I re usually record. I play better when I record myself, and I'm set up to do it. Yeah. And But uh, I will get engineers over here to help with the setup. Absolutely. But I always do the best recording late at night, and it's just me hitting the record button. And um, But he... Once I have everything recorded, I give it to the engineer, to Jason, or my friend Paul DeGray, who is a great mixer, uh, engineer, and let them mix it. You know, yeah. they can use whatever mics they want, you know, make it sound the best. They, and I don't have the ears for that. Yeah. So I'm not a good mixer. I can hopefully not screw up the recording too bad because you can get into phase problems with multiple mics. I was going to ask because you're using four different mics. I mean, you got four, one stereo some, set. Oh, one yeah. point. I had Paul DeGray over here, and we had seven or eight mics and we were micing from above and everything and it, yeah he knew what to do with it yeah I, I would have been lost and he made it sound great but but typically it's usually four to five microphones and you're doing all condenser mics no um uh the ribbon mic the the m160 sitting next to a yeah, okay. a, a condenser uh, a um km84 a neumann then they're just tied together right right about in the front right depending on the guitar other. what it sounds which what the guitar sounds like it's usually somewhere in the front like I said, usually a ribbon or a large capsule mic here. And then, yeah, you're right. These two condensers are up front. Okay. And if I can get, and occasionally we will throw in a dynamic mic. Uh, really? Throw in, throw in one of these. Yeah. Yeah, just to give it, sometimes it sounds good. Wow. They, they mix it in somehow. He'll, he'll make it sound good. I'm so curious. I just did a, I'm asking because I just did a guitar tracking. I had a, a big condenser, like a vocal mic, yeah. right up on the 12th, uh, 12th fret. Mm -hmm. And I had a cheap MXL. Uh, was, at the yeah. headstock, one in the body, and then I had the I had the yeah. pencil over my over um, player's perspective. Yes, and just that setup was totally out of hand for me. And mm -hmm. I was told that a lot of this is pretty normal. Yeah, so it I'm, is. I'm always curious. I like as the, to what I like. The, I just started doing what you just said. The back behind you, or I actually put a Royer up above yeah. me, and, and that actually sounds a little better to me than the front mic. Sometimes you know, it's distance, it's nice to but, mix in. It's a really yeah. good mix in track. Yeah. But yeah. I get into phase issues, so I leave it up to engineers to mix yeah. it. But but it's uh, there's a lot. There are a lot of options. You can get in a lot of trouble with all this technology. Oh yeah, I always oh, do. Yeah. Too many tracks, too many microphones. But well, that's that's awesome. Uh, before we go, I um, I like to ask all my guests their advice. Uh, I think what I want to ask is, what is your advice to young guitar players that mm. want to expand their horizons as musicians? And, I mean, just as musicians, as hmm. artists. Well, it depends if they just want to be a guitar player. You know, uh, start writing original guitar music. Try to get a good road gig. Try to get a good local gig if you can. Uh, pursue academics if you can. Pr reading and, you know, you know, theory. And if that's not your thing, and, and fine. You know, but I would just say own your content. Mm. Uh, learn... If you really want to be serious as a solo guitar or even with a band, if you have a band to record, write your own stuff, own your content, because in the streaming world now, you know, you're, you are getting, the record companies tended to screw people back in the old days. Well, the streaming companies are now, you're not even getting the back end royalties anymore. Yeah. So you're kind of getting it from both sides. Well, so be your own publisher. Own, own your own your rights. Sell your publishing if it makes sense, if you know, if, if you get enough uh, steam going. But I would say own your content and write content. Be a writer as well. Everybody, you know, rec everybody can record now. 
create a collection of your own original music. Get it out there in the world. Throw mm. it throw it out in the stream. Yeah. You know, somebody will license something. If it's good, somebody will dig it and somebody will license it. But that's really what you have to make money with now, media-wise, is licensing or or get a scoring gig, you know. So with scoring, you know, what what's your advice for someone that wants to become a composer then? Well, it's similar deal. Similar deal. Uh, it's very hard. I think there are as m probably as many composers now, young composers, as there are guitar players, which oh, is hard I, to believe. Absolutely. Because uh, guitar players were everywhere. Yeah. But now the laptop is outselling the uh, for music. The music laptop, apparently, I've heard is outselling the guitar. So the guitar is sort More of diminishing, and it's. Uh, pardon. More guitars for me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> They're available. But I would tell composers uh, same thing. You know, uh, write your own music, even if you're not writing for a project, if you're not trying, you know, writing specifically for a show or TV show or a, any kind of. Uh, YouTube content or, or online content, always write. Score stuff, write stuff, record it, get it mixed, own it, put it out there. And, you know, somebody's going to click on it. You know, yeah. if it's good, somebody will find it. There, it's, it's a very challenging field right now because yeah. so many people are doing it and so many people can do it because of the technology. But shit, if you love it, just keep doing it. Yeah. You know, write just to write. Don't write just because you have a gig. And I've met a lot of young writers. And it's like, I was like, well, what have you been writing? You know, it's like, well, I don't have a gig. It's like, that's not why you, you do know, it, man. That, well, I, I never did. I always, I always wrote every day. I would, Can't write, help it. I would record something or write something, come up with a piece of music, just because I like it. That's yeah. all. It's, it's an outlet, you know. But Let it be that. I, that's what I would tell young people, you know, to do that. I love it. And uh, I don't know. That's my advice. Well, you know, that's, I, I like uh, it. I, I really like that. Yeah. I think it's important. Um, and you, are you still playing? You playing a lot? I. It's all I do. Good. I mean, guitar is my thing. Music is my thing. I'm actually, Great. I've had a studio for some time, and for the first time in my life, I'm actually recording my stuff. Good. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. I have about yeah. 30 to 40 songs Good. I've written, and I was struggling. You know, as a young artist, I struggled, like, which songs do I choose? Which ones do I do this? And like, oh, do I have enough money to produce this and this? And I was like, man, screw this. One acoustic and one vocal, every song, going to put it out there and move on with my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and if something gains some traction, then you, you can go. go back and produce it up, yeah. you know, and say, oh, someone showed interest. Maybe I should put a put you know a band on this. Maybe I should get this orchestrated or whatever you want to do with it. John yeah. Locks, uh, the ex-guitar player of a metal band called Warbringer, mm -hmm. he was on the show uh, about two months ago, and he made a statement that I'll, I'll never forget. He talked about recording, basically in a sense, he's like, I love recording music because it takes the burden off of that song oh interesting you know because we write all the stuff and like we're all worried about what if we forget it what if this what if that but once you re record it you can let it go and as that's musicians it opens us up to keep writing and move on to the next thing that's so a good point yeah that that really it's cathartic yeah it, yeah i think it is it's good to get when working on this guitar cd uh, album of mine you know, I will obsess over one piece and keep re-recording it, fixing it, and making comps and getting a better take on this section and doing this and spend all this time. And a, a good friend said a very similar thing to me recently. It's like, look, if it's not, there is a point where it's good enough. It may not be perfect to you, but but it's good because he heard it. He's, yeah. he's like, you should put this out. I said, well, this thing's screwed up this section and I need to play that better he's like uh, -uh the, the feels there the things there yeah. it's done let it go you know he was right well you can we, we obsess you know yeah and obsess. it's easy to do with like again again with the technology yeah you know?
Fix Easy. every little thing. I know. So you can what? tweak it to death and then take all the life out of it. So, Well, is there anything you'd like to play us off? Or yeah, you know? I don't know. Let's see. Um, hmm. No, I'll probably mess that up. I don't get a lot of guitar players playing actual guitar on the show, so well, there you go. take full advantage of it. Play all you want before we go here. I, I could just pull up a bunch of loops on my sequencer <laughs> and just bang those out. I don't know what to play. I could just... Um, See if I can do this. Great guitar. Yeah, this one's nice. The Collings. Uh, I liked it mainly for the pickups. Gold foils. I'm going to mess it up. I can't do it. It could be better. That was beautiful. Clams and all. This part always gets me. There it is. What a great change. Anyway, it's a That's it's awesome. a beautiful Beatle tune. She's leaving home. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Well, Mark, thank you so much for doing this. This has been such an honor thank and you, such Hyde. a pleasure, man. I appreciate. It. Thanks, man. Cut.